the Rangers and Adolis Garcia have avoided arbitration, signing a two-year deal on today's show and breaking down why that's so important and five players who are poised to improve in 2024. All that and more on this, this episode of Locked on Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked on Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked onto the World Series champion Texas Rangers. I'm Bryce Patrick, a cripplingly addicted Texas Rangers fan covering this team for 10 seasons, including all five as the founder and host of this podcast. Thank y'all so much for making this show your first listen every single day. If you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryce Patrick. You can follow the show at Locked On Rangers. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and on YouTube, where the best way you can help grow the show is to comment nearly any single thing below. Now, before we get into today's show, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Now, the big news of this week that came out on Thursday is that the Rangers and Adolis Garcia have avoided an arbitration hearing and signed a two-year contract extension for $14 million guaranteed and up to $20.25 million over the two years with escalators, according to John Heyman of the New York Post. Now, this is a great deal for the Rangers and a great deal for Adolis Garcia. The arbitration process is a weird part of baseball labor rights. It is an awkward process. It is at times... Um, contentious, and it has led to souring relationships between players and teams in the past. As recently as Corbin Burns, the last couple years with the Brewers, that's part of the reason why they traded him this offseason is uh, he had been felt, he felt like he was uh, deeply unwanted because the whole process is the team arguing why you should be making less and the player and their agent arguing why they should be making more money. And the Rangers and, and Adolis Garcia were pretty far apart, as far apart as any arbitration eligible, actually further apart than any arbitration eligible player in that first offer at $5 million from the Rangers and $6.9 million from Adolis Garcia and his agent. But this with this deal, he's making more than that $6.9 million in guaranteed average for the next two years. Now, the breakdowns haven't quite been released yet of how much he's making uh, which year and uh, what those escalators are. I'm assuming there are some incentives for if he wins another ALCS MVP, if he wins a World Series MVP, if he becomes an all-star for a third time, if he wins a Silver Slugger, Gold Glove. Usually those are kind of the escalators in there. Sometimes there's statistical escalators, like say he has another 30 home run season or if he gets 40 or or just some kind of baseline stat incentive um, or awards voting if he wins the actual MVP, which, who knows, after what he did in that postseason, I cannot wait to see him on uh, in the batter's box for the Rangers again. I'm so ready for baseball season to be happening. But th- this was uh, one of the last things that uh, was on the Rangers' to-do list before pitchers and catchers report next week. That's right. It's Friday as you're listening to this, Super Bowl's on Sunday, and then officially it's baseball season because pitchers and catchers report next Wednesday, and I'm sure we all 
are all very, very ready for that. But this is a big deal for Elos Garcia. This is a big deal for the Rangers, you know, establishing and maintaining that relationship and not having to go to an arbitration hearing where you're telling Adolis Garcia, the star of your team, the heart and soul of your franchise, who just put on the most insane postseason display I think we've ever seen from a single player and won you that first title with the most amazing walk-off home run in the history of mankind in any sport ever in the 11th inning of Game 1 of the World Series. And you go into arbitration, he's got a lot of things in his favor. He is on the older side for a first-year ARB player at 31, so that was part of the factor in the decisions. But he does have a lot of hardware. Those two um, all-star appearances, that gold glove he got this year, the um, I don't think he's had a silver slugger yet. I'm sure he will at some point, if not this upcoming year. And obviously, the ALCS MVP. But getting those two years buying out arbitration next year so you don't have to go through this exact same process again next year is great it is great for him it is great for the franchise it is great for fans it's great for everybody except i'm sure there are some teams that he um obliterated in the playoffs this year that are thinking oh i don't want to see him again well too bad because he's going to be in texas for at least another two years probably another three because he's under contract for three more years so they did not buy out all of his arbitration years they did not buy out any of his free agency years which was something i thought was probably on the table i'm sure there were a lot of discussions of a lot of different variations of this contract what it would look like whether they wanted to go a three-year deal a two-year deal is is a good stopgap so they only have to do the arbitration process one more time um, and neither side wanted to bank on what the third year, his age, heading into his age 33 season would look like. They wanted to give him a couple of years to see, all right, let's, let's see what it is. And if he has an amazing couple of years, and maybe at that point, the Rangers look at signing him to a longer term extension to buy out some of those free agency years. But this is just a good deal all around, a good baseline salary for him this year and, and buying it out next year and giving those incentives that, you know, could add another six million, uh, basically another fifty percent of what he's guaranteed to make is is a great deal for him and, and for everybody involved. And just to have that not hanging over their head anymore and to do it the day of the arbitration hearing, the morning of when it was supposed to happen in the afternoon. Uh, it's, just, it's just great news to end your week on. I mean, thank you, Chris Young, for giving us this. Thank you, Adolis Garcia's camp, um, for not making us worry of, of you know, how, if that relationship had soured. Just a delightful way to end the week. The only better way to end it would be news of Jordan Montgomery signing. But, hey, m- maybe we can wait until, like, Monday for that. And then we're like, all right, everything is absolutely glorious everything is golden everything is wonderful in rangers land but this wasn't the only big contract extension in the al west this week the astros unfortunately signed a five-year 125 million dollar extension with their star second baseman jose altuve congratulations to him it was kind of felt like an an obvious move altuve was up for free agency after this year but i don't think anybody ever thought there was another possibility of Altuve going literally anywhere else. He will now be signed through 2029, which is his age 39 season, um, which is kind of freaking wild that he'll be signed for that long. But hey, he's earned it. And 
honestly, even as an Astros hater, uh, even as a uh, a sports hater of Jose Altuve, it's really cool to see star players, you know, spend their entire careers with one team, have that baseball reference page look, you know, clean, and not have a bazillion different teams. Because for me, when I look at a baseball reference page, I would love there to be either like 20 different teams or just one team. It's nice for that uniformity. But the only thing I had to say in how this relates to the Rangers is the contract extension announcement from the Astros Twitter, the highlight of Jose Altuve they chose to include was, was not from many of the playoff series that he has won over his 13 years with the Astros. Unfortunately, they have done a lot of winning playoff series, but no, they choose to use a highlight from a series that they lost to their biggest rival very recently, the Game 5 home run, the game-winning home run that um, broke all of our hearts and then ended up not mattering at all was the highlight they chose to use. Are you, are you serious, Astros Twitter? That admin? That, that's the one you chose to use? There are so many more. There are so many more home runs of Jose Altuve you could have chosen. Honestly, the only funnier result, the only funnier highlight they could have chosen to include would probably be the ninth inning game seven homer off Jose Leclerc that was absolutely in garbage time. I think that would have been a little bit funnier, but I could not think of a just funnier decision to make to announce this this monumentous news that everybody in Astros world was waiting for for the longest time. The Houston mayor declared the 7th of February 2-7 because he wears 27, Jose Altuve Day, and that's the one you choose to include? Absolutely hilarious, delightful moment. But congrats, Jose Altuve. Congrats, the Astros. Um, hoping that uh, he can, you know, enjoy being the second best second baseman in the state of Texas with that delightful extension for him. Honestly, genuine congrats to him because that is a cool story for him and his family. Coming up, we're going to look at five players from the Rangers who can improve in 2024 from what they did in 2023 and why that's so important for repeating as champs. Right after this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Ibotta. It's officially soup season. Make sure you get all the ingredients you to master your recipe while getting cash back on your purchases with Ibotta. Ibotta is the free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. The average Ibotta user earns $145 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Buy that flight you're eyeing, you know, that game you've been dying to go to, or that fancy dinner that you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't really amount to much, but with Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you'll get real cash back into your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying the Ibotta app when you use code LOCKEDONMLB when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store, download the free Ibotta app, and start earning cash back and use code Locked on MLB. That's I B O T T A in the Google Play or App Store. News code Locked on MLB. Locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24 7 streaming channel on YouTube. And now you can also find it on Amazon Fire TV. Locked on Sports Today is here for you 24 7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked on. Plus, our national shows covering every single week. Find the Locked on Sports Today channel now on Amazon Fire TV. Now, 
there are five players, actually maybe more than five players, but these five in particular are players on the range I think will improve in 2024. Some of them have really good 2023 seasons, but I think all five of these guys are definitely primed for a better statistical year or better overall year than they had in 2023. Now, uh, the first one uh, may not surprise you. The first one is Josh Young. Young had an exceptional rookie season, and until he got hurt with that thumb injury, he was probably the best third baseman in the American League. I mean, he was incredibly good for those first couple of months, and he was just such a vital part of this lineup, and he produced at a level that, you know, honestly, I, I wasn't quite sure that he would produce at right away. I mean, I've been a big believer in Josh Young, and, and him finally getting his, his shot to you know, be in the big leagues and be healthy and have a healthy spring training. Thankfully, I was, it was only a matter of time, in my opinion, before he showed why the Rangers were so incredibly high on him and believed so much in him. And the first couple of months, he was the leader in the clubhouse for AL Rookie of the Year. Basically, the first, you know, two and a half months, it, it felt like it was almost a guarantee that that Josh Young was going to run away with this award. He had an 824 OPS in April and March in 29 games there, uh, or excuse me, 26 games there. In the month of May, he had a 917 OPS, which was his highest for any month that he played more than six games. And then June came around, and then July came around, and he started coming back down to earth quite a bit. Then that broken thumb injury by that Jorge Soler line drive that just snared him right in the thumb and, and really kick-started the kind of downturn of the Rangers in that second half, especially in August. I mean, the Rangers maintained it for a couple of days after Josh Young went down to that injury, but not having his bat in that lineup, and especially after the Jonah Heim injury as well, both of those compi- compiling at the same time, that was a rough place for those Rangers, and he he performed very well in the postseason, even though he was hitting all the way down in the eight-hole of the postseason still a vital part of this rangers run hit over 300 in the postseason and 867 ops and and three postseason home runs including a couple in in the same game in the alcs against uh, one against christian javier in a game where nobody could touch him outside of josh young but still a very valuable part of this rangers team and, and did fantastic low-key fantastic in the world series hit 350 with an on base of 350 and had just one extra base hit which was a double but still a very important part of lengthening that lineup out and the main reason i think that josh young can do better is not only because that was his rookie year his first time facing big league pitching every single day but there's one thing that i really would like him to improve the defense was solid he hit the absolute crap out of the baseball when he made contact with it, and he hit it exactly on the sweet spot at great angles, You know his sweet spot percentage, um, which is basically the trajectory, the, the launch angle, the ideal launch angle is if you're hitting it in the sweet spot. That's what this measures. He was in the top 2% of baseball at, at launching it exactly where he wanted to. He was hitting the top 20% of hitting the ball hard. Average exit velocity, top 15%. Expected slugging, also fantastic. But the main thing that I want Josh Young to improve on is his swing decisions. He was a guy who had a really great batting average, great batting eye at Texas Tech. A lot of walks, not a lot of strikeouts. More walks than strikeouts at Texas Tech. A pretty high, pretty decent walk rate. Not elite, um, but much better than it was at the big league level. And it got a little bit worse, the swing decisions. He you know, walked a little bit less and struck out a little bit more when he went from the minors to, or the college to the minors, and then from the minors to the majors, those numbers jumped way up. 
So in college, he had a 14.1% walk rate. In the minors, 8.3%, so still down. And in the majors, 5.5% walk rate. That is very, very low. In college, his strikeout rate was 13.2%. In the minors, it jumped all the way up to 21.2%. And in the majors, it's been 30.8%. It is you know, more than double what it was in college. Obviously, big league pitching is a little bit better than you know, minor league pitching and in college. But also, he has improved as well. And I think being a little bit better, a little more judicious about when he's swinging, what pitches he's swinging at. And also, it feels like every single time I was looking up, you know, guys who were getting rung up on pitches outside the strike zone looking, it, it happened quite a bit in the ALCS, especially against Justin Verlander and I think Christian Javier as well. Um, but he was really getting rung up on pitches that were uh, called strike three that were not in the strike zone, which was making him expand and be a little bit more aggressive. And I think if he can just, you know, bite the bullet and, and you know, be okay with taking that called third strike and improving his swing decisions, kind of, because that's what's going to happen when you're taking more pitches and you're taking more borderline pitches, you're going to have some strikeouts looking. And I think, you know, learning from Adoles Garcia, that was something that he improved on massively this year, which is what led to his massive, massive breakout is, is being more selective, being more judicious with his swings. He still strikes out a decent amount, but he also walks a lot more, which allows that, you know, light tower power to play up. And I think the same could be the case with Josh Young. So just improving that, those swing decisions, which I think he will. He's an absolute baseball rat. Like, he's just obsessed with baseball. And that is something I think he'll be working on quite a bit this offseason. And that's why I think he's going to be have a much better season in 24 than he did last year. The next guy I think is going to improve is Jonah Heim. Now, Jonah Heim had an all-star season. He finished second in a uh, uh, or he was selected to the second team all MLB, his first all-star season, and I believe he also won the gold glove, yes, this year. And offensively, he was really hot and cold, really hit and miss, which kind of has been the case with Jonah Heim um, for his career. He'll have an amazing month and then kind of really quiet down for a little while. And I think just being more consistent from month to month could really, really help him, especially in the back half. Now, the first half versus second half splits of his OPS were massive this year. I mean, he had an 8-12 OPS in the first half this year and 12 of his 18 home runs. And then in the second half, it dropped all the way down nearly 150 points to 656. I mean, everywhere from the batting average, slugging, you know, on base percentage as well, all of those dropped off significantly. And I think a decent part of that was him coming back from injury maybe a little too soon. The month of August was absolutely horrendous for him. Nearly 40, over 40 plate appearances and hit 150 in a 434 OPS. That's OPS, not his slugging. His OPS was in the 400s. It was a rough, rough way for him. And it didn't get all that much better in September. I mean, he had a 675 OPS in September. Still solid in July and in June as well, and he was amazing in April and March. Five home runs that month and a 979 OPS in the 23 games he played in. But I think even coming off of his all-star season, a little bit more consistency, just a little bit more belief in himself of knowing I'm for sure one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball and having that confidence of that success and you know being a little bit lower in the lineup, I think he might be. Um, we'll see where, where he hits every day. I don't think that really particularly matters with the construction of the lineup. Um, but I think a little bit more consistency, a little bit more hopefully health in the second half. Hopefully he doesn't have to uh, 
you know missed some time with a was it a, not a thumb injury it was the um what whatever injury it was that uh that caused him to sap his power and was just not quite the same when he came back but hey I think having that consistency under his belt, having a season like that, having a championship that he's coming off of will instill some confidence in him to be even better than he was when he was the second best catcher in all of Major League Baseball, according to the people who were voting on all MLB. Coming up, we're going to look at the other three players I think are going to have big seasons in 2024, including one who I think most people are still overlooking despite his postseason success. Right after this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. There are all kinds of different fun little prop bets that you can make on FanDuel. Of course, you can make you know, bets on who's going to win, or you can bet on what color the Gatorade of is going to be dumped on the winning coach. You can make a bet of who's going to score the first touchdown, uh, how many yards, all kinds of different fun little parlays and, and things in there. So new customers join today. You'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. It's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. The next guy on my list who I think will have a better season this year as opposed to last year is more about his regular season than his postseason, because his postseason was amazing. But this guy is Josh Spores, coming off a truly the most up and down Jekyll and Hyde regular season I think I've ever seen from a player. He went into the World Series as the Rangers' number seventh inning guy, and he had an absolutely sensational, incredible run in the postseason. Just one singular earned run in 12 innings pitched, 13 strikeouts, just four walks, no home runs allowed, only four hits. I mean, the guy was just locked down as locked down, as automatic as you can get, and also got the save in the final game, the clinching game of the Rangers' first ever championship with an absolutely beautiful curveball dropped in there for strike three called as the Rangers won the World Series. But we all saw in the postseason the highs, the highest highs that Josh Spores can hit. And for him, last year was mostly about health. Whenever he was healthy, he was dominant. He was sensational. He was untouchable. But when he wasn't healthy, he was very gettable, very hittable, and he was hit incredibly hard. The ERA splits per month are just the most back and forth and back and forth and back and forth of anybody, any pitcher I think it might have ever seen. In five games in April and March, he had a 108 ERA. Then in nine games in May, it jumped all the way up to 831. Ten games in June, absolutely sensational. 16 innings there and a .55 ERA. Go to July, jumps up to 15. August back down to five and 5.79. And then in four games in September slash October, or regular season October, a 14 and a half ERA. The guy was so, it's so over, we're so back as a pitcher. But you look at his expected numbers, and he is the king of expected numbers being much, much better than his actual numbers. I don't know exactly why that is, mainly because his stuff is very good. His home runs, the things that he can control, the not giving up a lot of walks, check. I mean, it's about average-ish in walk rate. 
His strikeout rate is insane. His, his swing and miss rate is in the top 2% of baseball. His strikeout rate is in the top 10% of baseball. Fastball velocity is there. The expected batting average and ERA were both very good. His actual ERA was around five, was actually exactly five and a half last year during the regular season. And it was 3.35, his expected ERA. So he got very, very unlucky, more so than than almost any other pitcher, at least on the Rangers roster, maybe even in the AOL West, maybe even in the entirety of Major League Baseball. That difference between his actual ERA and his expected ERA. The guy's got nasty freaking stuff, and a lot of being reliever is about confidence. How could you not have all the confidence in the world after that postseason he just had? I feel like this is going to be a monster year for Josh Spores. There's still questions all the way into even September of, is this guy even a guy who the Rangers should have on their roster? Is he worth a roster spot, let alone a high leverage spot in the pen? He showed in that postseason that he is that dude, and he can bring it, and he can be one of the nastiest relievers in all of baseball. The next player I think that's going to have a big, big, much better season in 2024 than in 2023 is one Nathaniel Lowe. Now, his defensive improvement was absolutely massive last year. He was so, so, so much better. I don't think I've ever seen a player improve their defense that much from one off season than Nathaniel Lowe did. And that was amazing, and that was awesome, and it was so, so needed because every out, every play mattered quite a bit, and Nathaniel Lowe's defense really helped the Rangers out. But his bat wasn't quite the same as it was when he won a Silver Slugger in 2022. It just wasn't quite as consistent. He kind of went back to, he went back to the old me, uh, as as I would say, um, in the more passive version of Nathaniel Lowe. Of the guys on the Rangers roster, I don't know that anybody has more raw power than Nathaniel Lowe. That's even including Adolis Garcia, whose raw power is just off the freaking charts. But in batting practice, nobody puts on a laser show like Nathaniel Lowe. And one of the reasons why he had so much success in 2022 was because he was a bit more aggressive. He did strike out a little bit more. He did swing and miss a little bit more. He did walk just a little bit less. But he was doing some damage to baseballs. The second half Nathaniel Lowe in 2022 was on another level. He was absolutely nuclear in that second half in a way that I thought he might repeat this year in going off in the second half. But that wasn't the case this year. Last year in the second half, he hit 339 with an on-base just a point below 400 and a 964 OPS. This year, in the first half, he had a 781 OPS in the first half and then a 766 OPS in the second half. Not quite the elite-level hitter the Rangers were expecting to be and not the number three hitter that the Rangers were hoping for him to be. I mean... He was supposed to be the protection for Corey Seager all year long. He moved much further down in the lineup. I think he'll probably still be further down in the lineup this year. I don't think they're going to go back to hitting him third. They could, um, but I don't see that as a likely scenario. But the Rangers need a big year from Nathaniel Lowe. And I feel like all the tools are definitely there. He is an incredibly patient hitter. He usually makes pretty good swing decisions. He's got some insane raw power. And he's figured out how to hit fastballs a little bit better than he did and when he was with the Rays and they didn't think he could hit fastballs or lefties. And that's also why he was so good overall in 2022. It's because he hit the crap out of lefties. This year, not so much. He also had a lot going on in his personal life of his mom being diagnosed with brain cancer. And how can that not weigh on you? 
how can that not make it harder to go and succeed at your job of, of worrying about his mother? And thankfully, she has been doing well in, in recovery. As, as far as I know, I haven't heard that many updates, but um, hoping and wishing all the best for Wendy Lowe and for the family. And I'm hoping that Nathaniel Lowe can have a, a good restful offseason come back. And, and we've seen what this guy can do when he's on another level. And if Nathaniel Lowe gets back to the 2022 version of himself, specifically the second half, you add that bat to this lineup that was already so insanely good last year and one of the, one of the guys with some of the highest ceiling of offensive of potential on this team goes and takes it to that next level, man, this lineup can be absolutely terrifying for everyone who thinks they're going to win 81 or 82 or 85 games. That takes this team to a whole new stratosphere of potential. And the last guy on this list who I think will have a better year in 2024 than last season, that is one Jacob deGrom. Now, that is mainly me banking on Jacob deGrom's health, which has been a risky prospect the last three years, unfortunately. But I am an optimist. If you're not an optimist about Rangers baseball at this point in time, for right now, maybe not forever, but coming off of that World Series run, I mean... that optimism bliss is going to last for, for quite some time. And I'm feeling optimistic about Jacob DeGrom's recovery. The expected timeline for when he comes back is hopefully some point in August. Let's say it's August 1st, and he gives the Rangers two months of incredible baseball and then pitches in the postseason. Even if he comes back at the midway point in August, I'm just banking on him having more than six starts with the Rangers this year, and I'm hoping that he has at least one start in the playoffs of game one of a playoff series because I cannot wait to watch Jacob DeGrom pitch against the best lineups in baseball in a playoff series for these Texas Rangers while the bats absolutely crush everybody and take the pressure off him. But he still goes out there and is absolutely amazing whether the bats light up whoever they're playing or not because I just cannot wait. I mean, you remember what Jacob DeGrom looks like regularly, but on a mound, it is scary. It is spectacular. It's breathtaking. It is honestly my favorite thing to watch in all of baseball is those six starts from Jacob Grom. Well, I take that back. Winning the World Series was very nice and all of that aside. But in the regular season, there's nothing I like more than watching, you know, the baddest dude in town, the baddest dude on earth, just go to work and just paint the quarters with 99 and 99 and 102 and, and how, wherever else he's, he's throwing that thing. And the, the nastiest slider in the game, the nastiest fastball, incredibly good changeup and an exceptional curveball that he doesn't even ever really have to throw because all his other pitches are so insanely good. Watching this guy work is an absolute treat, and he is a big part of the Rangers' hopes of repeating as champs. I mean, every time I think about the Rangers World Series, which is uh, probably about 8,000 times a day, one or two or five or ten of those thoughts are, how the heck did this team do that with Jacob deGrom not pitching in the postseason at all? The Rangers won a championship with the biggest, you know, ace card, biggest ace in baseball on the shelf. They really did that. And they played the 98-win Rays and the 102-win Orioles, and they swept them. And then they took the Astros seven games, and they won every single game in Houston. And then they won the World Series against a very good, very scrappy, very underrated Diamondbacks team. And they did that with Jacob DeGrom on the shelf. 
I'm hoping so much for a quick and healthy recovery from Jacob deGrom, and we never have to see him miss any time whatsoever, but I'm betting that he's going to make a bigger impact in this year than he did last year because, man, I cannot wait to watch him take the hill in a playoff series this year because I'm pretty darn sure it's going to happen this year. That's going to do it for this week's editions of Locked on Rangers. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy World Series champion Texas Rangers baseball.